Matthew is an incredible writer, as all the other writers, John, Luke, and Mark. But Matthew chooses to portray Christ as king. And he wants the Jewish people to know that this Jesus is the king, king of kings, but he's king of the Jews as well. So he opens up the first chapter in Matthew with the lineage of Jesus Christ. And he reveals in the lineage of Jesus Christ, in that lineage, that not only does he come from a line of great kings, but he's also a priest as well. And so, like anything else, he reveals to us that this baby that we're about to speak about is not just an ordinary baby. He is the king of kings. And he's come here for one purpose and one purpose only. And as we navigate through the the, the, the series, Pastor Renee talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, John and Mary, even Simeon, and how he's revealing uh, 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 the birth of this child. And then Pastor Ben talked a little bit about the shepherds, uh, men of lowly degree, and yet God reveals because there is no place in your life God cannot reach down and touch you. You can never go so far that God cannot reach down and touch you. And throughout Jesus' life, we see even the lepers, we see that Jesus reach out and touch people. Why? Because touching our mess doesn't change his holiness. His holiness changes our mess. So that's why he touches us. So here we see in Matthew that he opens up the second chapter about some men who comes from the east. And he doesn't get into any elaborate details. He just said that these men came from the east. But God, throughout his Bible, if you read it, he is an intentional God. He is a purposeful God. God does things because it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And we may not understand everything that is going on in our lives, both good, bad, and ugly. God works those things out for his good. For his purpose, bring about a good for us. And it's interesting because in my series today, today's message, The Witness to Glory Part 3, we're going to take a look at the wisdom of wise men. The wisdom of wise men. So who exactly are these wise men? Because it's sort of like Matthew sort of winks at them and gives us a little bit of information, and then they're gone. But if we navigate through the history I don't want, time will not allow me to really get into who these guys are, but I just want to just show you who they were in the Old Testament, where they came from, because God is a purposeful God, and there's something he's doing then to bring about what he was doing in Matthew chapter 2. In Esther chapter 1, verse 2, here's the thing we need to understand. Uh, biblical historians say that the wise men go as far back as probably Abram, Ur of the Chaldeans, that they were not kings, but these, these were men of a priesthood, and they, they had special anointing and special gifts that they did. And so, but we, wanna, we don't want to go that far. We want to move a, a little bit further and take a look at what they were responsible for and how God set this in motion. We see in Esther chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, we see... Um, the Babylonian Empire, or the Persians, if you will, where there was this order where a queen, you never came before the king unless you were called. Well, Queen Vashti was called, summoned, and she did not come. But I want you to see who these men are. It says in verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. 
And at this king, this king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the, here we are, the wise men. Now watch this. Who knew the times for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in the law and judgment. Verse 14, the men next to him being, it says, uh, Carcenia, uh, Shethar, Athmatha, Tarshish, Marys, Marcina, and Memucan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of the king Azuharis, delivered by the eunuchs. These seven men, clearly what they call wise men or magi, used synonymously, are also labeled as wise men in this particular story. So we see in ancient civilization, said these men came from the east. And who were these men? Well, they were used by ancient Persia, ancient Babylon, the Medes. These men were used because they were counselors. They were used by kings as consultants because they had special gifts in astrology and astronomy, in math. We go further and we see now under King Nebuchadnezzar, under Babylon, we see that the Jewish people have now been captured. And now they're in Babylon for 70 years. And among these is a certain group of young men that the king himself is going to pull aside and place them in his kingdom. It says here, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made it a habit of gathering the best and the brightest from those he conquered into the advisory body called wise men or stargazers or dreamers. When he captured Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah, he added them to his already huge group of what they call the Magi's, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found these four men ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters or Magi's or wise men. And there was an obvious reason what God was doing at that particular point. Well, look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 through 20, and we see this particular a uh, 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 picture. In verse 17, it says this, And for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and, and, and dreams. At the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them, And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mashiel, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the other magicians and all the enchanters that were in his kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to understand from a historical standpoint. When they brought these people in, these Jewish people in, they brought their, 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 their religious beliefs in. They were monotheistic. They believed in the worship of one God. And they brought that in to an empire that had multiple gods. Not only were they monotheistic, 
But what came with them in these eastern empires was prophecies of what was coming, about the birth of a, of a, of a Savior who was coming. And so all of a sudden, God is now setting all this up to get ready for the grand announcement. So all these eastern empires now have what we call an influence. And many, even when the Jewish people was released to go back home, like Daniel, many of the Jewish people intermarried into these, these eastern religious people and then had an influence over these kings because they were placed in high position because of the anointing that was placed upon them in the area of dreaming and stargazing and being able to speak prophetic words. So all of a sudden, Matthew opens up in chapter 2 and gives us a glimpse of who these guys are coming all the way from the east. Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Verse 4, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religions, the religious law, and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judah, Judea, he said, for this is what the prophet wrote. So they knew, as Jewish leaders, what the prophecy was. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... Are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for the, a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Liar. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Let me take a, a, sta- a pause for a station identification break right there. Um, I want to bring out a truth to you at the time when... The wise men arrived. Jesus, he was in a house. Okay, okay. It makes a good postcard, but he was in a house. Okay, all right. Just want to make sure we're clear. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country And by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Wow. So what do we want to do today? What was the purpose of God just briefly allowing Matthew to give us a picture of these men from the east and then they just disappear? What can we learn from this story? What applications can we pull? What can they teach us this morning? Well, first of all, which is obvious in the scripture Number one, wise men seek to worship Christ. The Bible says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
All throughout history, at the history of mankind, even in the most primitive civilization, there's always been this desire, this need to worship something bigger than us, something greater than us. And if we're driven to find something outside of ourselves, to worship something out there. But it tells us these men reveal to us that wise men worships Christ. Look at this in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, of Judah, uh, during the, the reign of King Herod. About the time some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, inquiring, because inquiring minds always want to know. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. It's interesting that these men from the east, they were, they, they were gifted, but not only that, they had the responsibility of declaring kings. Any type in the, in, in, in the ancient civilization when kings would, 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 would uh, uh, walk in an authority that they should not, these wise men, if you will, in, in the eastern kingdom, had the ability and the wisdom to know who to place there and when to take them down. Because they had an understanding of times and knew what these men needed to do, and they, so they would consult. But they knew and they recognized kingship. In the basketball arena, we said game recognizes game. Oh, for those of you that may not know it, you know, talent recognizes talent. Okay, you with me. I, I just need to make sure we're all on the same page. These men saw this star. Now, how did they know about this star? Because of the influence of the Jewish people who never left those eastern kingdoms. They began to show them and begin to speak the, the prophetic word to these Gentiles. And they begin to embrace it. They begin to look. What is God saying to us? Even today, wise men, men and women still seek him for the purpose of worshiping him. Are there any worshipers of Jesus Christ in this place? It's interesting in John chapter 4, verse 19 to 26, that was Jesus said, I, I, I must go to Samaria. And then he has this encounter with the Samaritan woman. And you just need to understand that uh, from a sociological standpoint, these two groups of people had no dealings with each other because obviously the Samaritans were a mixed breed because Jews people had married them. And then so the, the, the Jews did not want to have anything. So Jesus went and had this incredible conversation with this woman. And then she says she asked him for this water that will never stop running. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And she see, reveals to him, I have no husband. And he said, you speak truth because the man you with is not yours either. You see, one of the first things we talked about in our meeting about this woman was that one revelation is that we cannot truly know who God is and receive who God is until we first realize and confess our wrong and our sin so that we can receive him. And so now in verse 19, it opens up an incredible conversation. And she says, and the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to this woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Somebody say now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father. Huh? The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who will worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus just sort of reveals to this girl, girl, look at here. (laughs) Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What I love about this conversation, Jesus says, the hour is come and it is now. Those who are going to worship him is going to worship him in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? What is this truth thing? We worship him because we know who he is. We worship out of our knowledge of who God is and what he has done. So number one, they teach us wise men seek to worship Christ. Number two, Wise men recognize the Lord. You know, there's a lot of things God does is doing in the earth. It's amazing the miracles that you are seeing in your country, in the country where, you're, God, where you've been called. And I often say God is still performing miracles, but the reason why a lot of times in our country we don't see miracles because of skepticism and doubt and unbelief. And yet people in third world countries are so hungry for God That wherever there is a high expectation, God always shows up because where they know he's God, he shows up. God brought a judgment against Israel. He said, because you have limited the Holy One of Israel. You limited him. How big is the God you serve? What's your perception of God this morning? Is that, do you believe he can do anything? Do you believe he can do all things? You see, we worship him out of that truth. You cannot, if you truly believe that, it's impossible to sit there and worship where the Spirit of God is moving and do this. I promise you, if you're broken in somebody's store and they put a gun to your back, you will do this. You will do this. We raise our hand because we know the truth and we have the truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Wise men recognizes the Lord. So many times God is moving and yet people don't recognize that it is God that's moving. So how did these wise men recognize the Lord? Number one, their eyes were open. Not only just their physical eyes were open, but their faith came alive. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I'm a firm believer that was a lot of people saw that same star, but did not respond the way these men did. Because it was almost a looking with an intention to find. Why do you come to church on Sunday? Why do you come to church on Wednesday? Do you come because it's just your religious duty just to satisfy some religious need that you might have? I've been to church, so I'm good. Or do you come seeking the Christ 
with expectations. God, you have blessed me, so, but I'm coming because I know there may be people in this place around you that desperately need you. God is still good. So what happened? Their eyes were open. They saw the star. God connected their expectation with what he was using to bring them to the child. Let's look, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 33. Now, this is a story. We're talking about how we recognize the Lord. This is a story. Jesus is now eight days old, and as it was customary to bring him into the temple, let's take a look at what happened. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said to the, in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, and I love this. I love this story. Watch this. There was a man in, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine this man is waiting for the child to come? And I can imagine all of the near-death situations that he may have encountered, but he looked at that and said, no, not yet, not now, because Christ is not here. Man, can you imagine how you could live your life knowing and say, hadn't you seen the Christ? If you hadn't seen him yet, man, I'm not checking out. He believed that, and the Holy Spirit revealed this, and he says, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Christ, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, wow, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting me or letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all these people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, there it is, for the glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marvel at what was said about this child. Man, is that awesome or what? This man recognized who Christ was, but he recognized it because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And I love what he said. Now it's checkout time. I can go now. For now, God, you have kept your promise. Many of the promises that God has made to you and your family, many of the promises that God has promised in his word to you, and regardless of the time and regardless of the circumstances, you need to hold on like Simeon. Hold on to the promises of God. God is always faithful. God will always come through. God says, I'm a faithful God. I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I have done, I am doing. And what I am doing, I will continue to do. I just need you to trust me. Hold on. Don't look at your circumstances. I made promises that I am going to keep. Trust God. God has never failed us. Wise men 
always recognize the Lord. Wise men seek to worship Christ. Are you considered wise today? Bless Jesus. Not only these wise men recognize God by their eyes being open, but a second way they recognize God, they had an open heart. Their hearts were open. Look at the same verse, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. And then when they saw the star, there it is, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. And they, and they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is the first thing they did? The Bible says that they, their hearts were filled with joy. Their eyes were open. They saw who he was. And then when they arrived on the scene, they broke out in a Pentecostal jig. Now, some of you probably don't know what that is. And I'm not going to show you. It ain't happening. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor Ben sang last week. So you got to do the dance. All right, I'll give you a little piece of it. <laughs> uh, if he can sing, I can dance. <laughs> That's all you get this morning. <laughs> Their hearts were filled with joy. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is your heart still filled with joy when you come into his presence? Do you still feel the excitement? Not only in this place, but in your closet, in your car, when you're calling, when you're worshiping, do you still pull over at the side of the road and say, God, I got to worship you, but I can't do it while the car is moving. Please don't do that. That's not good. They're going to make a law. They say you can't text and drive and you can't shout and drive. They're going to make a law that don't do that. Guys, I will never forget this one time. Man, I was just having a moment with God and I was just, man, I was listening to my music and just got overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Literally. Now, this really happened. I got to the red light. I mean, it was in the brother. I got out the car, started dancing. Like, thank you, Jesus. Jumped in the car. I forgot people was around me watching. And I got in the car. And when I came down, I'm like, who? I looked and the lady was like. <laughs> I can imagine the brothers behind me. Man, I want some of that stuff. They, that brother on. <laughs> hey, brother, ain't nothing like an overdose of the Holy Ghost. That'll get you right, buddy. Trust me. That's a high you never won't come down off of. Hallelujah. Amen. Wow. They opened their hearts. It's interesting. In the same passage, when their hearts were open, the Bible said that their treasures were open. I'm a firm believer. The scripture tells us that wherever your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. That's where your heart is. And because they began, to re, they began to be filled with joy, they began to, not only did their hearts open, but they opened their treasures. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the treasure uh, here for a second and, and, and look at this. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, we can just quickly, and they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasure chest and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a couple of things I want you to understand about Giving gifts. The gift that is being given reveals something about the giver. 
And also the gift being given reveals something about who it's being given to. Think about this. How many times have you ever bought a gift for someone and you went into the store and you looked at a gift like, oh, I know this. Yeah, this is for Pastor Renee. Yeah, this looks like him. And I just, and I just, oh, I saw it for you and you just had to have it. How many times have you bought a gift for someone because it reminded you of something about them? Something you knew about them? Well, this is what they were saying because these men recognized kingship. They under, because they had responsibility of counseling with rulers and those in authority. They said, hey, this baby is not like any other baby. This baby is differently. This baby is a king. So you know what? Like any other king, let's give him some gold. What does gold represent? Gold is given to kings. And what does it represent? It represents the deity of Jesus Christ. He was not just the baby. He was the son of God, king of kings, lord of lords. Gave him gold. Look at the next one, frankincense. What does this gift represent? The gift offered, frankincense, incense, is offered to God in worship. It is a sweet Smelling fragrance that is given during the time of worship. What does it represent? It represents his humanity. Because the Bible says he left his splendor in heaven. God in all of his power and wrapped himself in flesh and humbled himself and became like us. I think about that. Here was God choosing to wrap himself And the same filthy stuff that trips us up. And he says, wrap it up because I'm going to destroy it to set you free. So we see gold given to kings represents his deity. Frankincense is what's offered to God during worship because it represents his, his humanity. And put that back up again. And myrrh, wow, is a gift given as perfume for embalming. Because it represents his future suffering. The gift revealed what these men knew about him. But also the gift reveals something about the baby. The deity, the humanity, and the suffering of this kid to come. Wow. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13 verse 45. You turn it at Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. A gift. In this two passages of scripture, it is a parable of the pearl of great price. It says the kingdom of heaven is is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he found, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant on a long journey and choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and then he bought it. Wow. What are you saying? What are these these men saying to us? In light of what you own right now in this life, compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus, there is no comparison. There is no comparison. These men were willing to give a gift that reflected the king. 
You see, I'm a firm believer. When God asks you for, for something, he, he's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you, which is greater than what you feel you had to keep. It's a, it is, a covenant is an exchange of weakness for strength. He said, give me your unrighteous and I will give you my righteousness. Give me your failures and I will make you successful and triumphant spiritually. Give me everything that you thought you had to have. And when you give it to me and place it in my hands, I can give you what's in my hands. And you will find the life much better. We find, and third, wise men reverence the Lord. You know, today, it, it is no, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see it. There is so little respect for God. Not only there's so little respect for God, but so little respect for the things of God. Romans reminds us that in Romans chapter 1, he says, men love darkness because their hearts are darkened. And it's coming a time where men who do dark and evil things will praise those who do the same. Second Timothy tells us there's coming a time where they will call good evil and call evil good. And be haters of those who do good. Jesus told his disciples, he said, guys, I'm checking out. But there are going to be times when you're going to be arrested, beaten, and killed. And there are going to be those who are going to think they're doing my will. But be of good courage because they don't hate you. They hate me. And because you serve me, they're going to hate you. There's no more fear of God. No more reverence of God. Look at the last shooting. Men walked into a church with no fear and shot almost 30 people with no remorse whatsoever. God is to be revered. God is to be honored. God is to be respected. These men understood who Jesus was, and they, re- they reverenced him. Go to James chapter 4, verse 6. Let's take a look at it. James chapter 4, and verse 6. And he says, and he gives grace gener- generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Now, we're not talking about a false sense of pride, a false sense of humility. You know, I'm just a worm, just a worm in Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the kind of, you see the humility he's talking here, reverence, it's understanding if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I would not be where I am. If it wasn't for his grace, I would be under an interstate. If it wasn't for his love, I would be lost in my sins on my way to hell. I recognize that without Jesus Christ, I would be lost. I recognize how undone I am. And so in my humility, God, I love you. I serve you. I worship you because I am nothing without you, Christ. Every single one of us in here is an ex-something or somebody. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would still be that person. Anybody know who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about this morning? If it wasn't for the grace of God. So we can boast in nothing. If we're going to boast, let's make our boast in the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Who are you? I'm a child of the most high God maker of heaven and earth. He has redeemed me by his strong and powerful hand. He has saved me by his grace. That's who I am. You can call me what you want, 
Just don't call me late for supper. That's who we make our boast in. Christ Jesus alone. And we walk humbly before him. Not arrogantly before him. And so many of our prayers, we pray prayers. Sometimes I hear prayers, we just just arrogant. Finally, wise men show us how to rely on the Lord. These wise men shows us how to rely on the Lord, how to trust in the Lord. Matthew 2.12, it says, And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I want you to see something. These men came from thousands of miles, not knowing what they were going to find, not knowing what the faith of their journey were going to be, if they would be killed, not knowing anything. But they, 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 they trusted what was spoken about this star, and they followed. Where do we see that picture? We see a picture of that. And they don't have it on scripture, so don't worry about it. It's in Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram. It says this, and the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. Go to the land I will show you. What is that? It's a picture of the leading of the Holy Spirit today. You see, I don't, I, someone asked me, man, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Not really, but I promise you, I wouldn't go to the corner grocery without him. A life of a believer is one that is totally influenced by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. There are things that we will never, ever have to tell you if your life is governed by the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, he always speaks what's in the mind of God concerning the purpose of God for your life. And he will never lead you astray. So God says, Abraham, I will show you. Well, can you show me now? No, because as you go, I will reveal. Keep going. Sometimes the journey will be difficult, but keep going. I bind myself to my promise. You will get to your destination. And then we navigate through the book and we get to Exodus. The children of Israel is now out in the wilderness. And now you have a cloud by day. And a fire at night, and as they'd move, the cloud moved, they would move with it. That is a symbol of the Holy Spirit governing our lives. No, God, I can't go there. No, you're telling me not to purchase this. God, I will follow you and your wisdom. So many of us have our plans, and we go and don't consult God, and then we jump out and say, God, I want you to bless my stuff. (laughs) Okay. Wise men show us how to rely on God. How do we do that? First of all, we must fear him. We must fear him. You see, when you reverence something, you give honor to the thing. And when you give honor to the thing, 
you submit to the thing that you give reverence to and give honor to. So the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wise men have come to rely on the Lord. So not only we must fear him, but finally we must be willing to follow him. We must be willing to follow him. I don't know who you are in this place this morning. These guys showed up all the way from the east. Oh, let me make this point to you as well. It it has to be said. These men came thousands of miles, arrived at Herod's house and inquired of the star. Herod in turn to his council and says what, what they're asking. And they began to prophetically speak what was spoken about the truth of this star and this baby. And what was interesting was they were Jewish. They knew the prophecy, but never set on the journey to go find him. And yet God would take Gentiles thousands of miles away, cross deserts and rivers to go seek the baby Jesus. Do you know what that's a picture of? God, even in his birth, bringing you and I into his kingdom and into his family. And grafting that wild branch. And boy, we were a wild bunch. It was a picture of God saying, to those who seek me, they will find me. Then who are the stars today? That's you and I. Don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about the stars like, you know, like you say, that's us. Because when Christ comes into our heart, the light of his love shines through us. And the darker the days get, the brighter the light in us will be seen and many will run to that light. So what is our purpose? Can our lives get people saved? Absolutely not. But what our lives can do is like the star, point people to Christ. But how we live. And when we get them to Christ, he does the saving. What do we want to The word of God. So our prayer, Lord, let your light shine through me every day so that whether I'm at home, at school, the workplace, the supermarket, wherever I go, let me be that star that I can allow you to shine through me so then I will point them to you. I want you to stand on your feet this morning. There may be some of you in here this morning that have never had the opportunity or made the choice to receive the king. By the way, in case you didn't know, he's not a baby anymore. He ain't wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in the house. He is our conquering king, fighting our battles and going before us. That's who he is today. He's our Messiah. I don't want you to leave out of this place not having given you the opportunity to come and open up the treasures of your heart to receive him. With every eye closed and every head bowed, This morning, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, I want to give you that invitation right now. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. As we've seen in the last two weeks, life can end very quickly. But the question I need to ask you, are you ready to go? Jesus was born of a virgin. He came to redeem. He fulfilled all that was written died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession, and he's calling you. He's calling like the star. Will you come to receive him? Because tomorrow's not promised anyone. If you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to come down to the front very quickly. If this is your moment, don't be like the Jewish council in Herod's kingdom. 
They knew, they heard, but did not go. Be like the wise men. They saw, they opened up their hearts, and they responded. If you've never given your life to Jesus, won't you come at this time? I want to pray for you. All over this place, I'm going to ask all the church saints to be praying. There's no guarantee you will see tomorrow. And if today was the last day on the planet, do you know where you're going? If that's you, won't you come? We give you an invitation now. We give you an invitation now. Father, we thank you. We honor you. I want you to pray this prayer with me all over this building. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins, taking my sins away as far as the east is from the west. With my mouth, I boldly declare this day that Jesus, you are the son of God and that God raised you from the dead. And I believe with this confession that I am saved. Wash me. Make me clean. Lord, take away my sins. I humbly bow before you. Show me how to live. And I make you the Lord in my life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. May God go with you and may his peace rest upon you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.